Hello, and welcome to the Poo 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 podcast. This is Lisa Mayer, the Maine Rebbitson, and this is a very recent memory. It's called Telescope. I waited till the last minute to ask for it. My father was bakvemt, cozy in his big chair, the one with the vanilla leather peeling along the side arms, where his fingers dray and dray all day long, poking holes while he half watches, half dozes the weather channel on TV. I wanted to borrow his Questar telescope. I had asked to borrow it once before a few years ago. I don't really want to lend that, he had said, this man who had always been so generous with me. He was already in decline back then, diagnosed with water on the brain, a brain with a Ph.D. in physics, a math professor, a brain that wrote books on prime number theory with one of Albert Einstein's colleagues, spoke six languages including Russian, a brain that composed symphonies, played piano, violin, sax, and clarinet, and was a high holiday cantor for 30 years. That time when he said no to the Questar, I was disappointed, but I decided to take it as a good sign. He still felt in the thrust of life. But this time the decline was steeper, and he was also losing functions that made having round-the-clock aids necessary. So I decided to try again, emboldened by the magical images beamed back every day from the new James Webb Telescope— looking into space and seeing back in time. Exploding stars, imploding galaxies, black holes. Daddy used to set up his Questar on the rooftop porch of our Queen's New York City house. I remember clearly seeing the rings of Saturn through its little aperture. But no offense to New York, you should see what you can see up here in Maine. I had actually come down from Maine to help my mom, who was having a hip replacement. I'm the slacker sister, the sister who lives 348 miles away. I don't schlep to Queens every single week like my sisters, you know, my sisters who have so much free time, an ophthalmologist and a professor, each with young kids. I was taka-thrilled to be able to help out. My mom and I always have a good time together, and despite the 5.30 a.m. call at the hospital in Bronxville, we were yakking up a storm. I saw her through till the nurse kicked me out, whereupon I googled the best coffee house nearby. Bronxville is not the Bronx. This was an incredibly tony town. At Slave to the Grind, I downed not one, but two coconut cold brews, which got me pretty wired while I waited for my sisters, but OMG, it was some of the best coffee I've ever had. The line was one of the best-looking, too. Everyone coming or going to the gym in neon pink micro-shorts from Lululemon. My sisters and I sat in that coffee shop for hours, talking, worrying, laughing, recalibrating our lives and standing by birth order. Or maybe that was just me. When the call came in that mom was okay, I posted a picture on Facebook of my sisters thanking God via Psalm 118. It got a lot of likes. Also because my younger sister, Amy, was wearing funky yellow glasses. My mother came out of surgery, hip hip hooray, walking straighter and having charmed all the doctors and nurses and providing nosh to the orderlies. No overnight at the hospital. 
No restrictions, no kidding. And no waiting on your exercises, exhorted the doctor. So that very afternoon at the kitchen table, I took out the illustrated PT charts, and together we proceeded to engage our thighs, lift our legs, rotate our ankles, six, five, four, three, two, one, and my favorite, squeeze our buttocks. That one we counted in Yiddish. Which reminded me of the old Yiddish proverb, a guest comes for just a while, but sees a mile. And, having been there for just a few days, I realized something. I had been worried about the wrong thing. It wasn't my mother's hip. It was her nerves, her spilkas. This was the bottom line. Not one, not one of his caregivers were able to get my father into the necessary undergarments, and it was killing my mother with worry. I watched as my mom took calls from friend after friend. How are you feeling, Rita? You could totally hear them without the speaker option. While Daddy sat quietly across the table, sipping his soup, happily gazing at his wife of 62 years, still his babe, and at his prodigal daughter, me. And then it would happen. Daddy would get up from his chair I have to go to the bathroom. And everything would freeze. My mother's face would go white. She would watch silently while he pulled himself upright and inserted himself into the walker, the opening shaped like the Hebrew letter chet. She would hold her breath as he slowly, slowly shuffled out of the kitchen, watching him go with eyes that did not want to see. You know exactly where she was looking. There were accidents, many, many accidents, embarrassing accidents. And as my mother watched my father, I watched my mother. I saw the fear, the frustration, and the horror that comes from embarrassment. And that's when I realized that to save my mother, I would have to take the embarrassment out of it. So the next day, I actually pulled rank. My sisters had come over, and there were two caregivers standing in the kitchen, and my mother, who always made lunch for the cleaning lady when I was growing up, was inviting the caregivers to sit down at the kitchen table with her and relax a little. Sorry, Mom, I said. They can't relax now. I looked at both caregivers. Listen to me, I said. There is really only one job in this house, one job. You have to make sure my father wears his undergarments or you don't work here. Do you understand? They stared at me. But he doesn't want to wear them, the older caregiver said. Too bad, I said. And he yells at us, the younger one said. Too bad, I said. Go call your supervisors and your colleagues and you all figure out how to make old Yeller wear his undergarments. My mother was staring too. This is how it's going to be, I said. When my father gets up to go to the bathroom, you stop whatever you're doing and you follow with a new undergarment and you make sure he doesn't leave the bathroom without the new one on. I was shaking and rigid at the same time. And he's getting up right now. I hadn't ever spoken like that, and I didn't care. These people cost a fortune, a fortune, and they worked for my mother. And they weren't working for my mother. 
But suddenly, they started figuring it out. And when my father got up, they sprang to attention. And within 24 hours, I actually saw my mother, not the caregivers, start to relax. When I was 15, I took a Queens College summer class in statistics. My father was the professor, and I was desperate not to be outed as the professor's daughter, especially not with all those cool college kids. So I wrote my name as Lisa Weinberg, not Lisa Weintraub. Big difference, right? Well, it fooled Henry Seletsky, an amiable 19-year-old who sat next to me at every class. My professor father would glare at him and was apoplectic when I announced that Henry had asked me out. Later, when my father gave him a D, he swore it was because Henry Seletsky couldn't tell a mean from a standard deviation, but I knew that part of that D was because Henry Seletsky had had the chutzpah to like my statistics. The day after my tirade to the caregivers, I took my father to a cognitive evaluation at his doctor's out on Long Island. My sisters didn't like this doc. They warned me she was ice cold. She was ice cold, with freezy blue eyes, and it was a groise schlep, a big drag, even with one of the caregivers. I had just about giving up on getting Dr. Frizio to care even a teensy-weensy bit about my dad, that he wasn't just a statistic. When I saw a diploma on her wall, Doctor, are you from Poland? And the next thing I knew, I was chanfing her, buttering her up about all things Polish, from the concerts that Srili and I played in Krakow and the Yelenia Gora mountains there to the amazing hot Polish borscht with spices. She told me to let her know the next time we play the Krakow Festival. She's going to come and see us. But statistics are statistics. My dad couldn't repeat back five random words in order. He wasn't able to copy a simple drawing. He didn't recognize a rhinoceros. When he repeated back three three-digit numbers, I was filled with pride. You know he's a professor of mathematics, I bragged to the doc. Her now kinder blue eyes crinkled. This test, it's not about intelligence, she said, sighing. If it were, I'm sure he'd get an A++. But, in fact, Dad got a Henry Seletsky D on his cognitive evaluation, even with me sitting there trying to help him cheat. I took Dad and the caregiver out to the kosher bagel place afterwards. The caregiver had successfully gotten Dad into the undergarments and actually gotten a urine sample, and I was so grateful to her. It was the least I could do. And it was nice to have a regular conversation with her and not just be the wicked witch of the North. Besides, my dad really likes bagel store tuna. We got a bagel tuna sandwich for mom, too, and got home just in time for the squeezing of the buttocks. Zex, finif, fir, dry, zwei, eins. Dad was already sitting on his chair, twirling the ripped leather. How was it at the doctor's, babe? My mother put a gentle hand on his shoulder. The doctors? I don't know. My mother's voice grew strained. Her volume increased. Babe, you were just at the doctor's office. Her lips twisted. She sat down on the couch. There's no conversation anymore, she said to me dully. I never really thought much about my parents having conversations, 
but they always went out a lot. Dinners, movies, plays, lectures. They had date nights before there were date nights. They went on lots and lots of vacations and cruises all over the world. I guess they really talked to each other. And in my entire childhood, I only remember one fight. One. And now that I think about it, it was because my dad was hangry. And that was before there was hangry. And so I watched my mother sit alone on the couch, alone in the marriage, alone in a marriage of 62 years. Alone in the world, alone in our solar system, the galaxy, alone maybe in the entire universe and whatever other universes the new James Webb telescope finds for us. Anyone out there? Anyone out there to talk to us? Please talk to us. It's lonely being the only one who talks. And then, the next morning, it was time for me to go back home to Maine. It was the last possible minute. My father was sitting in his chair. I asked gently, once again, about the Questar telescope. And then, before he could say no, my mother walked smartly into the living room with her new hip. Why don't you lend it to her, babe, she said, patting his shoulder. You haven't used it in a while, and Lisa will take good care of it. And just like that, it came home with me to Maine. I set it up in our driveway in time for the meteor shower. I'm still learning to adjust the tiny little knobs and lenses. I'll set it up again soon. Not sure what I'm looking for. The new James Webb telescope can look farther back in time than any other telescope, observing distant galaxies as they appeared not long after the beginning of the universe, 13 and a half billion years ago. Maybe I'm hoping to see through to an earlier time, to glimpse what used to be. Hoping to see back, just maybe 30 or 40 years ago, to see the light from what used to be a star.